Just quickly, last week we looked at David and Bathsheba, just to put the story into perspective again. We're going to continue the same uh, theme or same story. If you've got your Bibles, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we'll pick up today's story. Last time we looked at David and Bathsheba, and we learned three lessons, and there are probably hundreds more, but we learned that temptation is not the problem. We are the problem, not temptation. That being good does not necessarily prevent bad from happening. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. And thirdly, our actions always have consequences. And that wasn't such a nice thought, but that's the reality of it. As I said last Sunday, this week, I want to deviate a little from the specific narratives and just pick up on one aspect of one of the narratives, and that's the story of David's son dying. And we find that in 2 Samuel 12, just the first bit we read about the prophet Nathan coming to David and telling him the story about a rich man who had loads of sheep and how there was a poor man who only had one little hue, something like a, a pet in the home, something that was very to that poor man. And a visitor came along to the rich man one day, and the rich man went to the poor man, and he took that innocent little lamb, that little ewe, and he used that to offer to the visitor. And... Uh, he, by force, he had taken this thing. And David, when he hears Nathan telling the story, he burns with anger. I mean, David's still got some good inside of him. And he says, this isn't right. You know, he says, this guy must pay. He must die for what he's done. And Nathan points a finger at him and says, you are that man. <laughs> and David immediately realizes the story is about him stealing Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And he repents immediately, unlike Saul, as I mentioned last time. And in verse 5 and 6 in Samuel, 2 Samuel 12, the Bible says, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die, David talking. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity, to which Nathan replies, you are that person. Okay, so <clears throat> let's pick the story up now from verse 15 in 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you've got your Bibles, otherwise you can follow along on the screen. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked, yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, 
you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? Maybe the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And then he says these words, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, help us to understand what you would hear us, what you'd have us understand. Help us to hear the words of truth from your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are 19 sons of David named in the Bible with only one daughter, Tamar. There are also two unnamed children who died in infancy, and one of them is the son who died in infancy, uh, Bathsheba's child. Even though the child died before being named, David was completely convinced that one day he would go and be with that child. And the, the, uh, the attitude is, I'm going to go to be, be with him. Not, not in the sense that I'm also going to die, but I'm going to be with him. You get it? This isn't just euphemistic language to say, well, I'm also going to go and be with him. I'm also going to die. It means I'm going to be with him. David was convinced he would see his child again and that he would go and be with him. Which leads me, leads me to talk today about what the Bible describes with what happens when I die. Some questions that I want to answer, and I want to assure you I'm not planning to speculate. I'm just going to use the Scripture to explain what the Bible says about some of these things that are in our minds. And perhaps the first one that we need to make sure we are sure of is the question, is there life after death? Is there life after death. You see, the reality is social media is full of false narrative when it comes to death. Many people have some kind of belief in the afterlife, and most of those will base their belief on that person's good deeds during life. So if that person was a, was a fantastic pop star, for example, then that person is playing instruments that they haven't heard of yet in heaven because it's just wonderful and they've reunited with all the people who have gone before. It's this sort of pie in the sky floating on the clouds playing a hop and also disturbingly for me the sense of reunion, familiar reunion. So because that person knew that person, they're together again in heaven and celebrating. Together they're playing the hop on the clouds, or together they're doing something perhaps that they had done before. The Auntie Mabel and Uncle George scenario, you know, they together again. And Auntie Mabel giving Uncle George a hard time because he took so long to join her. And she's probably upset up there because she had to sit and wait for Uncle George to come because in the meantime, she's got to listen to Auntie Susie's stories up there. You know, that's the kind of nonsense we talk about and Auntie Mabel is in for a big surprise when she finds out Uncle George took so long anyway because he married three times after her and he survived his fourth relationship you know 
We don't think about those things. We don't talk about those things. But oh, they reunited again in heaven. So we've got all of these false narratives about, and I'm not even talking about uh, um, religious systems like reincarnation, where you, uh, you come back as different life forms over and over and over again, and, and you're working to become better and better and better at what you're doing until eventually you get to nirvana or to heaven. Or perhaps if you're a Muslim, you know, you, you blow yourself up and you take... Um, uh, you land there with 70 young maidens just waiting for yourself, waiting for you when you get there. I watched a clip about half an hour ago from Jerusalem Post. I follow the Jerusalem Post quite closely just to see what's happening in Israel. And there was this video clip of this, uh, this young Muslim walking across the road. And as a, uh, a, a, um, one of these Orthodox Jews walked past him, he just started stabbing him. You know, now that guy would be doing that because he knows uh, something's going to happen and he's going to be martyred, and he was. He was shot to death within seconds. Uh, and he would be martyred, and he's got 70 young virgins waiting for him in heaven. Anyway, so according to the Bible, though, is there life after death? And the answer is categorically yes. And it's very clearly from the Bible, either a positive or a negative experience, and it's going to last forever. So whatever experience you enter into the moment you die, you need to know this very definitely from the scriptures. That's going to be your eternal state. So you, if you enter into a place of wonder, then that's your experience for the rest of your life. If you enter into a place of negative negativity away from the presence of God, that's it for the rest of eternity. I'm warning you now. The Bible speaks of only those two alternatives. Let's talk about positively some scriptures. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, Just as, it's, as man is destined to die once, so there is only one death. We are going to die unless Jesus comes. And after that, to face the judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he went a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to whom? To those who are waiting for him. Wow. So there's this once experience of death, and if we are waiting for him, if we are expecting him, if we have if we have taken the steps we need to take in order to know him, we are going to immediately enjoy this incredible salvation that he brings to us. John chapter 11, just chosen a few verses. We can go on all day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Never die. So this physical body can die, but we will never die. John chapter 14, Jesus is telling his disciples who are getting really upset about things because he's talking about things they don't like him talking about, you know, that he's got to die and all the rest. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Wow, this is going to happen to those who believe in him. Matthew chapter 26, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is, this is just before he then he took the cup, gave thanks. Drink from it, all of you. My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus is saying, don't panic. The day is coming, we're going to sit down again like this, and I'm going to drink this with you in my Father's kingdom. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Instead, they were longing for a better country, these people of faith that he talks about before that, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, those people of faith that he's spoken about. Beforehand, So positively, we've got, we've got irrefutable evidence that there is a good, wonderful, positive life after the cessation of these physical bodies of ours. But negatively, there's also a whole lot in the Scripture. For example, story in Luke 16, there was a rich man dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what rich man Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. And the The rich man buried hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham away with Lazarus by his side. He called to him, Father Abraham, have thee on me and send Lazarus to dip the of my finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm agony, in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that you want to go from here, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus speaking, obviously, about himself. There's lots more on hell, like Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake, some to everlasting life, to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew 3, 12, his winnowing fork in his hand 
and he will clear his threshing floor barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus talking about judgment on the last day says in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the fire prepared for the devil and his Revelation 20.15 says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Second Thessalonians 1 says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. <laughs> You're going through trouble right now. I rest in that. When people give me trouble, I think God will pay back trouble to those who trouble me. I had all four of my hubcaps stolen off our bucky the other night at one o'clock in the morning, you know, just God will pay back the trouble to those who trouble and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. When will this happen? This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, the majesty of his power. There are two elements to the punishment of unbelievers. It is firstly a punishment without any as seen from the words everlasting, unquenchable, eternal, a very severe punishment, uh, most often compared to fire, not necessarily a literal fire, though it could be for other words used as well, shame and contempt, destruction, outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Together these terms point to a very terrible Friends, it's clear if we want to answer the life after death, immediately there's the judgment, and there's either enter into heaven or there's enter into hell. I want to just tell you that there's this one of the so called Christian denominations on the planet teach a thing called purgatory, a kind of holding tank where people go after they died and if you pray enough on this side then they get removed out of purgatory and put into heaven that's not in the scripture it's not biblical and it's not true the day you close your eyes in death you open them for eternity either in God's presence or away from his presence okay so let's talk a little bit more on heaven now presuming that we're going there What's it going to look like? Well, we look like. We're going to get new bodies. Definitely do not become angels or fairies on the clouds or flowers in God's garden. You know, I see these in um, these funeral pamphlets, you know. God needed another angel and so plucked you out and put you in his garden or <laughs> something. Nonsense that's not in the Bible. There's no ways. Huh? You need to change my batteries. Okay. Excuse me.
All right, it's back again. For those who didn't hear that, I'm too stingy to change the batteries before service, so I, I make them go until the end. Okay, so we definitely do not become angels. In fact, the people who are in heaven are in heaven, the Bible says, are going to judge the angels. Hebrews 1.14 says, angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So we definitely don't become a lower form of angels. If God wanted more angels, he would make more angels. Okay? We are human beings. We have been created a little lower than himself. So we do not become that. However, from the scriptures, uh, it's clear that our appearances will change. God will give us new bodies, similar to Jesus' resurrected bodies. The new bodies that we have will never grow old. Can I have a round of applause? <laughs> they will never become tired. You will never again lie in bed and feel your big toe paining like crazy because you ate too much cheese the night before, you know. There's no more of the stuff. It's gone. No more pain or suffering or death. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We are going to have resurrected bodies. The scripture is clear. We can't enter heaven in these sin-tarnished bodies. We've got to get new bodies to get there. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, Luke 25, Bible says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they'd seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he goes on to further prove himself and eat some fish with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. This isn't a secret, silent rapture. Those people who are telling you, people are just going to disappear secretly and silently. This is a noisy occurrence. For the trumpet will the dead will be raised imperishable. That means you can never perish. That means you can stay out of the fridge as long as you like and you won't go fraught. You stay fresh forever, imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When perishable has been clothed with imperishable and mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. God will decide what our perfect bodies will look like. But they sure to all be different. 
just as we are all different now. We're all going to be different. Revelation 7, 9 says, After I this there before was a great multitude that no one could count, where from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Everybody's different. They were all wearing white, but they were all different. <laughs> so as we are all different, so we're going to be all different. And based on the resurrected Jesus, it seems that people whose bodies were tall will be tall. Those who short will be short. The naturally thin will be thin. The naturally thick will be thick. But all of these sizes will be healthy and appealing, untouched by cure or disease or restrictions, and we will all be perfectly happy with the imperishable body that we've got for all eternity. Amen. Those of you mumble and grow because this is a bit wide and that's a bit big, you know. <laughs> There'll be no more moaning, no more complaining, no more worrying about what we eat, no more gaining unhealthy weight, no more perfect size or perfect shape, according to Mary Claire or whatever magazine you want to look at and decide that's what I want to be like. Now, theologians have speculated down through the centuries what age we will be. Some say maybe 33 or so like Jesus was. Others say, well, you'll be what you were at the age of death, just without all the issues. Now, we don't have any scriptural direction, but for me, perhaps the closest will be to the age Adam and Eve were when they were created, perfect and built for eternity. Wow. So what will we be like? We're going to have new bodies. Number three, going on an extra half an hour today. Number three, will we recognize one another? I get this question quite often. Will we recognize one another? The short answer, and I'm going to give you the short answer, and I'm going to give you a longer answer. The shorter answer is yes, definitely, we will recognize one another. When David's infant son died, David declared, I will go to him. There's a sense of knowing. There's a sense of purpose there. This child of probably seven years old, we don't know if he, if he died at seven or, you know, after the death sentence, he lived seven days. But let's say he died at seven. I mean, a baby's a baby. Babies are babies, you know. They look the same most of the time. I think babies, all babies look the same. I mean, you will disagree with me as a parent, but I thought all my babies looked the same. Anyway, but David is convinced, I will go to him. In other words, I will know him. I'm going to go there. <laughs> Many people say the very first thing they want to do when they arrive in heaven is see all their friends and loved ones who have passed on before them. In eternity, there's going to be plenty of time to see and know and explore and spend time, etc. However, that will not be our primary focus in heaven. Listen to me. We are going to be far more occupied with worshiping God and enjoying the wonders of heaven. And the reunions that we do have with those who have gone before us are likely to be filled with recounting the grace and glory of God in our lives. His wondrous love, his mighty works, his saving power, his forgiveness of my sins. 
We will worship, we will rejoice all the more because we can praise and worship the Lord in the company of other believers freely and especially perhaps those we loved on earth. But we will still know each other. God knows what our faces and bodies look like. How are we going to recognize, you see? He knows what our voices sound like. He knows what our characters and personalities are. So when he resurrects us, I think he's just going to remove all those wrinkles and diseases we died with and leave us with who we actually are. I imagine we're going to sound the same. We're going to be able to recognize one another by looking at each other. We're going to see the same personality, character traits, hope, obviously, good ones while on this earth. But again, our focus is not on one another, but on him. Matthew 17, some examples of recognizing one another. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and there he was before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. His disciples still recognized Jesus even when he was transfigured. They recognized Moses and Elijah who had come to, from heaven to speak with Jesus. Uh, there were no photographs to look at or Facebook to stalk or old movies to check. I mean, how do they know what Moses and Elijah looked like? And yet instantly they recognized them. They knew exactly who Jesus was talking to. They just knew, they just knew this was Moses and Elijah. I think that the story tells us a lot about the conscious joy of fellowship that believers share immediately after death in the presence of the Lord. We have that story that we've read in Luke 16. Abraham, Lazarus, the, the, the uh, rich man, they, they knew one another. I mean, that rich man had gone past this Lazarus every day by his gate, probably never gave him a second glance, but he knew who it was. He saw him and he knew he was. He saw Father Abraham and he knew who he was. We're going to know one another. Many people recognize Jesus after his resurrection. Jesus says, for what I received, I Paul writes, for what I received, I passed unto you as the first importance Christ died for our sins. Where are we? According to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and to the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Listen here, there, there was recognition. People understood this was Jesus. They knew who he was when he appeared. They knew, they saw him. They knew him in his resurrected body. And if Jesus was recognizable in his glorified body, we will also be recognizable in our glorified bodies. Matthew 8, I say to you, many will come from the east and west and take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Abraham was the father of Isaac, the grandfather of Jacob, and in heaven he enjoys the company of his son and his grandson, while Jacob enjoys the company of his father and grandfather. 
So we've got so many of these passages in the scripture that clearly show us we are going to recognize each other. Jesus told his disciples, tell you the truth, I will not drink of this fruit from the vine until now, till that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The 11 who shared the Last Supper with Jesus will eat and drink with him in heaven. Peter, James, and John, the others will be named and known in heaven as clearly as they were named and known on earth. Paul makes it clear that the believers he loved on earth will be his joy in heaven. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. When Paul says he clearly anticipates relationships forged on earth will continue in heaven. When Paul writes to believers who grieve the loss of a loved one, he offers them this comfort. He says, Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, people are grieving over their loved ones who have died, and Paul says, no, 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 no. When he comes back, he's bringing those loved ones back with him. Can you see it? There's relationship, there's knowing, there's understanding. I'm going to be able to recognize and see. According to the Lord's own word, verse 15, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. Are you worried about my sweat? I just won't flick my head around too much. Is it busy? Is it flying off? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I understand that a man with a bald head is more likely to feel my, my sweat than a person with hair. <laughs> ah. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with the loud command, the voice of the angel, the trumpet of the caller. The dead in Christ will rise first. Those resurrected bodies will join those souls that are already there. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. The focus is on the Lord, but we're going to meet all of those who have gone before. What glorious reunion there will be one day. Being able to see our loved ones is a glorious aspect, but as I said, heaven is far more about God, far less about us. We are the bride of Christ. Together with all those who have gone before our loved ones and those who redeemed from all over the, the, the world and through the ages of time, we will together worship God for all eternity. You see, heaven is about Christ. It's not about un Uncle George or Auntie Mabel. It's about Christ. It's not about my loved one who, who left. or my. I've got two children in heaven I've never seen before. Two. I'm looking forward to meeting them. And you know what? I'm going to know them. So that's an exciting thing. However, it's not that primary focus. The primary focus is the one who, saved me, who has redeemed me, the one who prepared a place for us. Primarily, we are going to him. But will we recognize one another? Yes. 
Yes, yes. The question, who will be in heaven? Not everybody who had a funeral will be in heaven. There are not many funerals you go to where you would think not going to be in heaven. Let me tell you that much. There's not one funeral I've heard anybody say, oh, this one. Most people believe that most people go to heaven. Let's answer the question, who will be in heaven? And the answer is very simple. Only those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life. So you're going to have two funerals and you still won't get to heaven if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Your name can be Nelson Mandela and you will still not get to heaven if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. You can be called Mr. Pope or Mother Teresa or anybody else on the face of this planet. I'm telling you this. The Bible is categorically clear that no one whose name is not in the Lamb's book of life will be in heaven. The Bible says, Revelation 21, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 20, 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Can it be clearer? Jesus tells this, I mean, John records the story. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, in other words, of flesh, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Listen to me carefully today. It doesn't matter how nice you are. It doesn't matter how kind you are. It doesn't matter what a wonderful person you are. It doesn't matter how much good you've done. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter how many cakes you've sold for the church you belong to. It doesn't matter how much money you've given to the church. It doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized or anything else. The Bible is clear. No one will see the kingdom of heaven unless their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way for that to happen is if you have been born again. There is no access unless born again. Ephesians chapter 2 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not through yourselves, not by yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. You mean all my good works are worth nothing? Yes, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. Isaiah makes it very clear that our, our works are like filthy rags before God. All our good deeds, it counts for nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
And just in case you feel you're not so bad or not as bad as somebody else, or in fact, you're actually a pretty good person, the Bible declares in Romans 3.22, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference. There is no difference. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Full stop. That's everybody. Romans 6.23 says the wages for that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. Bible tells us in 1 John, John chapter 1 verse 12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, the overflow of what's in your heart comes out. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's not just a mere saying, Jesus is Lord. It's an agreement with everything that the Scripture says about the Lord Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. Friends, it's those whose names will be written in the Lamb's book of life, those who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation who will one day be in heaven. Everyone has a funeral, or at least everyone dies. The Bible tells us that broad is the road to destruction. Many are on that road. Narrow is the path to eternal life, and only a few find it. Let me conclude. Is there life after death? Yes, there is life after death. It's life eternal in the presence of God with our loved ones whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. And others from across the world. I sometimes think about the believers I don't like because there are some believers I don't like. And then I think, yes, I hope I'm not next to them in heaven one day. <laughs> but I know that that's what God's going to do. <laughs> so get used to whoever it is you don't like now. Start liking them. In fact, start loving them because you're going to spend the rest of eternity with them. You can't chill with the people you like like you do on earth. <laughs> oh, I don't know what happened now. It just disappeared. What will we look like? Well, we're going to get new bodies for our new environment, but we recognize each other. The scripture is clear on that. Will we know each other? Yes. Our focus is going to be on Jesus. Who will be in heaven? Once again, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who will be in hell? Everyone else. That's the sad reality of the, what we know to be the truth from the word of God. So I ask you here this morning, I don't know all of you and I don't know all of you well, I know most of you a little bit. I want to ask you the question. Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? 
because only you can answer that. Only you and God know that. And it's not based upon who you are or what you've done. It's based upon what you've done with the one who did everything on your behalf. And his name is Jesus. Jesus.